Hello, and welcome to the High Street Community Church Podcast. We're so excited you're learning alongside us, and we pray this message leads you closer to the Lord and others. High Street Community Church is simply a family of friends following Jesus. God bless you as you listen. I heard good news when I was gone. I was playing golf out in the desert in Palm Springs, uh, La Quinta, PGA West, 110 degrees. And when it's over 100 degrees, you play over 100 holes with your buddies in three days. It was awesome. And nobody went to the hospital this year with heat stroke. But I heard reports that the camping trip was awesome. Over 50 of you were there doing that business. And then I thought, okay, church must have been small. And people were like, no, there was a bunch of people at church, and it was just awesome, and the table of five was great sharing. And so it, in a, as much as I miss being here, it gives a pastor great joy to know that the church is being the church without the pastor there. So good job. Love that. This morning's passage is a tough one. Sorry. Um, it, it will cause us to wrestle. I hope... Um, that I get this straight and I preach clearly, but it's a hard one. All the commentators, you know, I read commentaries and work through scholars' works, and they're like, ooh, this is a doozy. And I talked with Frank uh, Trowbridge earlier this week, and and I said, I got a tough one. He's like, I know, I read the passage. Good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's, um, in the book, we're in the book of 1 John, and and, uh, trying to address the topic of living our best life. And, And John shows us how to do that. But he starts in the book, in I think it's verse, uh, 1 John 1, verse 8, he says something like, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So he's saying, you know, you sin. And then he goes on in today's passage, I'll read just one verse before I really go into the whole passage. He says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. So which is it? If you're, you know, if you're a follower of Christ, you don't, you don't keep on sinning, but if you're telling yourself you're not sinning, you're a liar. So we got that we're working with this morning. And, and not only John wrestled with this, but Paul in Romans chapter 7, he writes something, uh, verse, I think it's verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want um, is what I keep on doing. So we got a, a trouble here. And then the, the disciples with Jesus, Jesus is saying, you know, um, it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And so the disciples' question is, who can be saved? Let's pray. Lord, it's the right reaction to pause and pray when we come to this riddle of if we say we don't sin, we're, not, we're lying, and yet if we keep on sinning, we're not abiding with you. Help us. This is tricky ground. We don't want to make light of sin, but we don't want to be conquered by it. We don't want to give it too much power. We are all wrestling with this to follow you and live life your way. Um, Thank you for your word, for your promises, for your spirit. Teach us. In your son's name, amen. So I'm just going to read the passage. Um, It's a good passage, but again, like I said, pretty spicy. Chapter 3 of 1 John, verses 4 to 10. It says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. 
you know that he, meaning Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By, that, by this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Shall I just close in prayer? It's a bit of a riddle there. What's going on? So the, the big picture of the passage says, those of, um, abiding with God are practicing righteousness, and they don't keep on sinning. And those who are children of the devil don't practice righteousness. They don't love their brother, and they are practicing sinning. And this is coming... Um, certainly scriptures from the Lord, but the apostle John, known as the, uh, the, the be beloved apostle, and his letters are so kind and loving, and then he just stabs us with this difficult truth. It's just hard to hear. And I was thinking, um, not only over my life as a Christian, but many lives as I talk with people, here's a typical pathway. You come to um, hear the good news of Jesus Christ. It's proclaimed to you. Remember, I don't know, maybe a month ago, there was this proclaim... Um, confess, forgive, and cleanse. These four basic things of, of the Christian life that were spelled out in the book of 1 John. And so someone proclaims the good news. Somehow you hear the good news that if you trust in Jesus Christ, he will wash you clean of your sins and you can have a right relationship with God because of what he did and you believe in that. So that good news is proclaimed to you. You confess, meaning you, I agree with that and I agree that I've made these mistakes. You do the confession. Then God is faithful and just to forgive you so you're right before God and then Jesus cleanses you. That's a lifelong process of cleansing. And you feel awesome. Amen? Yay, I'm forgiven. And then you mess up. Or you straight out rebel. You sin. You ignore God. And you feel garbage. And then someone reminds you, someone proclaims to you, hey, the good news of Jesus Christ, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. So you confess your sins and you're forgiven. Yay, back on top. And you start doing this as a lifestyle, right? As a journey. And you say, oh, I keep messing up. I keep abandoning. I keep doing that, Paul. I keep doing the thing I don't want to do. And I do the thing, you know, it's all messed up. And you feel defeated. And you get in a pattern, you, me, us, we get in this pattern of struggling. And you say, is this what the Christian life is? Is just this ongoing up and down and up and down? I hear about victory, and I want to live this fulfilled life, and I'm struggling. What are we to do? Well, it talks in here, um, don't be deceived, little children. And let's see if we can clear up some of that deception. One of the things we think when it comes to being a Christian is um, to be a perfectionist cannot sin. You're redeemed. You're a new creature. And because we have um, the Spirit in us, we don't have to sin anymore. That's true. You actually, none of us ever have to sin ever again. Will you? Yes, you will. But you don't have to. If we could perfectly, because of God's power, not because of how strong we are, but because of who God is, we don't have to. 
But so we have this standard of perfection that we think we need to live up to or maybe expect we live up to, and we don't. So, okay, that's not working. So then we think, okay, it, it, the term for this is antinomian, that we can think, oh, since God has allowed for us or given us a way um, of righteousness through Christ, I don't have to worry about not sinning. I can just sin and it's all good. God will fix that. And so on one hand, you can't, you can't reach the standard, so you kind of give up and sin. Or the other one is like, I don't need a standard. God fixes it, and so you sin. Neither of those are what we're after. Because we read in uh, chapter 2, this is you know, one of the four reasons that John wrote this uh, letter to these churches. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So the goal is that you might not sin. That's the, that's the headline, that you might not sin. And then he follows it up with, but if, but if anyone does sin, knowing that we will, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. As I wrestle through this passage, and John's question, let me, let me be clear about this. The passage is not saying, if you behave this way, God will love you. No, the passage is here for us to check ourselves. It's shedding light. If you're habitually sinning, if you're practicing sin, you need to check your birth certificate, right? If you sin sometimes, then that's, you know, we have an advocate to come to us. But if you're regularly sinning, it's kind of really, really, you know, I say it has a bite to it, these, this passage. is because it's a loving thing to tell someone if they think they're on the narrow path that, that the passage that Frank read and you're not, and you say, oh, I went to church but I didn't really know Jesus, this passage is saying, if you have a lifestyle, you're not a child of God. But if you're making mistakes, that's a different thing, an occasional mistake. Habitual practicing is different than um, isolated incidences. And when I say this has a bite, have you ever held a little baby, I don't know, maybe six months old baby, you know, not so old that they worm out of your arms and leave and not so so tiny that they don't really do anything, you know, one month old. But they, you know, maybe, maybe they even have a couple little teeth and you're holding them and they, they kind of grab your hand. You ever this happened to you? They grab your hand, they stick it in their mouth and then they bite it. You're like, ow! You yell and you rip it out of their hand and then the baby's, you know, freaked out and cries and everyone's like, what did you do to that kid, you know? This passage is like that, where you think, you know, I'll read the, the portion before that Dave preached on last week about uh, beloved, we're God's children, and send, uh, see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and then, you, you know, like this warm thing, and then all of a sudden you get bit with this passage that says, if you keep sinning, you're a child of the devil. Ow, what? Huh? It kind of wakes you up. Wakes you up to what? Let's listen to what we need to be woken up to, because this book is full of reminders. You may know what I'm preaching this morning, but you may have forgotten it. And that's what John is saying. Dear children, don't be deceived. Let me remind you of this. So if you want to pull out your notes, these uh, neon green things, this is going to be important to use these this morning because I want you to take these notes throughout the week and look back on them. You're going to do a little work with them this morning. The title is The Conquering Life. And I described at the start a life where you feel defeated. You kind of up and down. You have success. You have failures, success for failures. And John is pointing to the way to have the conquering life, to live your best life, to live life so where you're not defeated by sin over and over and over again. That's what we're going to get at. We've, we've preached on this before, this topic, but it shows up again, and so I want to make sure that we're clear. It could be a reminder. It could be hearing this for the first time. The most important thing we need to know 
when it comes to a conquering life instead of a defeated life, and, and this is your first fill-in on your notes, is you need to know who you are and whose you are. Who you are and whose you are. Before we get into this spicy passage, which is challenging us, you know, what are you practicing? What are you living your life? Who is, who is you? you, know, are, you are you of the devil or are you of God? Before that section, listen to what it says, and I already read it. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Verse 2, beloved, we are God's children now. Don't forget that. We do forget that. We, 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 we think, oh, I'm a person that, that um, I pray to God. Hey, your, your identity has changed. When, you, when Jesus says you have to be born again, that's a permanent deal. That's, it's like you can't change your father. It's, it's happened. It's done. And, G, and Scripture tells us that no one can take us away from him. Who you are and whose you are. Beloved is the title that we're given. In fact, if I was going to make sure that you only heard one thing that I ever preached here in all my sermons here, I'd want you to hear this one thing. Listen close to this. The secret of the Christian life is knowing that God loves you, who God is and that he loves you, and then receiving that love, that makes you a child of God. And I believe, in fact, I would bet if you're living a life where you're not practicing the faith, where you're struggling with sin over and over and over again, I bet you you don't have a clear picture of who God is and how much he loves you. So instead of trying to push the darkness away and get rid of all your mistakes, turn and, and stand in the light of how much God loves you and who he is. If you can understand who God is and how much he loves you, your life will change. It's not about behavior management. It's about a relationship with the Lord and going, oh my gosh, I'm forgiven, I'm loved. He loves us first. This isn't something you do. This is something you receive. It will change your life. It, it's, changed, it's changed lives in here. It's changed my life. And to the extent that it hasn't changed is probably to the extent that you don't understand. I don't understand how much God loves me. All right? I'll give you a couple of uh, pictures of what this looks like. When Jesus was baptized, that's uh, one of the few times that uh, Father in Heaven spoke out loud also at his transfiguration, he said, this is my son whom I love. Jesus had not done any public ministry up to that point. He didn't do anything outward to earn this title, right? He just loved him for who he is, and it's a reflection of the Father. He is love. He can't help but spill love all over the place. And he said, this is my son who I love. He's called beloved. Or the book of John is written, the, the gospel of John as well as this first John, we believe is written by the apostle John, who calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved, the beloved one. And I used to read that and think, that's pretty cocky, right? He's saying he's the best disciple, right? And yet he also writes parts in there that he didn't do so well. He was kind of competitive. He wanted to be like sit at the right hand. He, he did some bad things. That he, so surely he wasn't perfect, and he couldn't say he was the best disciple. What he was saying was, I believe he was saying he knew that he was loved by God that he was loved by Jesus, and he wanted to go by that name instead of some name that described kind of his behavior or his characteristics. He says, I'm a loved one of God. That's based on God's love on him. Or the, the last most practical one I can get, I was sitting out on our deck this week with my daughter, Sierra, and she had some, uh, 
health issues that she was working through this last week, and she was describing the circumstances where I think it was one of the helpers or one of the, um, I don't know if it was a nurse, uh, was a close friend of ours, a family friend that I didn't even know was in that field and was assigned to her specifically. And she said, Dad, you know why that happened? I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's God. She's like, because I'm God's favorite. I'm like, well, there you go. <laughs> and isn't she right? Yeah, we're all God's favorite. I heard a dad once say, this is my favorite kid. And the other kid was sitting right there, and the kid's like, what? And, and that's my favorite kid. And that's my favorite kid. And when we get that, guess what? Changes our lives. Changes our lives. If we can get that, if you get nothing else, get that you are loved by God. The other part, and this is where we're going to spend a little more time, is this cleansing with Jesus. Cleansing with Jesus. It's a process. So we're positionally forgiven. God declares us righteousness through Jesus Christ. It's a pronouncement. But there's a process of being cleaned. And I would say, not necessarily that you're being forgiven of your sins over you are, but it's more of a process of becoming like Christ, right? Being matured. And I was reading a book. I finished a novel by uh, John Grisham this week, and part of it was set in World War II, where the main character was, was uh, fighting guerrilla warfare in the jungles of the Philippines. And um, he went to this commanding officer, and the commanding officer gave him uh, a really dangerous mission. And the guy, you know, had to get his little band of 10 people, and they were going to go blow up some trucks or something. It was very dangerous. And he took the assignment, took it seriously. It was a tough one. And he went out um, in the jungle, set the trap, and it was successful. And he came back to the commander and reported, like, I took the mission on. We didn't, you know, one guy got shot, but nobody killed, and, and we were successful. And the commander's like, awesome, gave him a big hug. And it was a neat thing that, um, that this guy reported to his commanding officer that he was successful. And I, I had this sense in my head, I first was thinking like, oh, that's what it's going to be like to report back to God when he calls me to do something, and I go do it. And, and the sense of me was, oh, no, no, that's not what it's like. Here's what it's like. God gives you an assignment. Imagine you're, you're before God. He does this actually all the time. <laughs> Tells you something to do. And you hear what he has to do, and you're, you know what your response should be like? I can't do that. That's way too big. But I know Jesus is with me. So Jesus, can we go do that thing God's asking us to do? Because there's no way I can do it on my own, but we can. And you do the assignment with the Lord. That's the way it works. You don't take an assignment from God, go off and do it on your own strength. I guarantee you'll fail. But you do it with God. Now that's how, that's what cleansing is like. It's life with the Lord. Now in this passage, verses 4 to 10 I counted nine times the word was either practicing or keeping on. I think it's important. So the question is, what are you practicing? What are you doing over and over? What are you practicing? Is it an incident? When it comes to sin, is it an incidental thing or a habitual thing? I know in my life when there's certain areas of I'm sin or immaturity or it, it's, you know, especially if it's something I just can't seem to shake, I feel defeated, and yet we're preaching about conquering. So when the disciples came to Jesus, and Jesus said, you know, it, it's, it's being like a rich man getting through the eye of the needle, you go, that's impossible, who can be saved? Do you know what the next verse is, what Jesus says next? He says, with man, it's impossible, 
But with God, no problem. I can get camels through needles, head, needles, eyes all day long, right? So these things, this, whether it's habitual sin or this life, these assignments God gives us, they're impossible. But with God, everything's possible. I want us to get really, really practical. Again, pull out your notes. And I want you to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of walk us through a process. And I want us to write some things down. And you can write on the, actually, you can't write on the back. Whew, it's full of words. We'll get to those later. But write down a couple things. And here's what I'm going to do. There's three questions that I'm going to ask you. And the temptation is to write down these things and go work them on your own. Uh, if I'm clear, this is not something you do on your own. You do it also with other people, but first and foremost, do it with God. So you can do this with your eyes open or, or you can pray, but I'm, I'm asking you to do these three questions with Jesus, and let's just look at those questions, and I'm, I'm asking the Spirit to impress upon your mind, it could be on your mind all the time, or it could be something you weren't even thinking of, and it's like, oh, I need to write this down, okay? So those first, let's look at question number one. What sin is bogging you down, blocking growth? And the sin is, is there's a wide range of what, what sin means. It could just be straight ignoring God. It could be rebelling. It could be living life without any laws. It could just be an oversight on your part. There's something that you're missing the mark. You're missing what God's called you to do. It could be a distortion or a deception. It could be an idol, something in place of God, um, the thoughts that I wrote down were, what am I afraid of? What am I worrying about? How am I overly confident with pride or stubbornness? How am I angry or sad in, in unhealthy ways? Is there lust or greed or jealousy? All kinds of, we're very creative in how we sin, right? Can I get an amen? What comes to mind, write it down. This is not for you to take this assignment and leave. This is for you to write it down and say, I'm going to talk to Jesus about this throughout the week. I'm going to bring this to the Lord and say, God, I am struggling with this thing. What in the world can I do? I don't know what to do. And watch him work. And as he prompts you to either share with somebody else, read some book, pray, he, he, he's going to help you grow. Be ready for action. He wants to form you into Christ-likeness. He wants to bring Christ out in you. So that's kind of a, a list of don'ts. You know, what's the darkness that we need him to shed light on? That's what we're after there. Second question. Uh, before I get to that, this is one of the aspects of confession. And, and sometimes confession, you think, oh, I don't want to say that. I don't want to tell people. It's so freeing, especially before God, to say, God, I admit I've fallen short. I do this. He releases you. It, it's the picture of a caught fish with a hook in it. He'll take the hook out, let the fish swim again. Who wouldn't want that? confess to God, agree with God. We also get to agree with God about good things, who he is and what he's done in our lives. So that first one's a confession. The second one, and this is a whole different way to look at this in terms of um, these questions, is what assignment are you avoiding? What's a dream that you've buried? What is something, and I want you to take this question to Jesus and say, I've done this with other people before, and it's amazing how quick things will come up because God has put something on your heart, and you, you got the assignment, and you thought, ah, I don't want to do this. I don't want to love my neighbor. I don't want to love my relative. I don't want to, you know, you give me this passion to correct this injustice, and it's too big, and I don't want to get 
uncomfortable. I don't want to fail. And you don't do it. And you put it aside. And I'm telling you, you're not able to do it on your own. So these dreams, it's not like you have this assignment and you have to go off and do it and hopefully you succeed and then come back and please your Heavenly Father. Your Heavenly Father is going with you in His Spirit and saying, we're going to do this together. You don't need to be afraid. I get it. It's, it's scary. That's okay to be scared in the sense of the feeling. It's not okay to bury it. So write that down. What is something that you, you know, maybe someone you're called to love, maybe it's... Um, Again, some kind of justice change that you want to be a part of, and, you, and God's calling you to do it, and you're, you're afraid. Or maybe there's a dream he's put in your heart, and you just somehow decided not to go for it. Spend the week with Jesus talking about it, wrestling, see where he might move, see what he might call you to do. It's another form of confession, agreeing with God, okay, God, you've called me to do this. I don't have any idea how you're going to bring it about but I'm open and willing. That's where all the best stories come from. And then the last question is, where are you getting your input? John talks in here, uh, don't be deceived, little children. We're deceived because we get bad input. And just a couple of things that came to my mind as, are you listening to Scripture? Or are you listening to CNN? Or Fox? Or whatever brand that you want to listen to. Are you uh, spending your time on social media or meditation? I, I'm, on, I'm swiping that. It's so fun. It takes a ton of time, and then it gets you in a different mindset. There's tons of studies that say it makes you mentally unhealthy. So I don't want to get in. That's a whole other sermon. <laughs> Where are you getting your input? That's the question. What's filling your mind? And even that goes along with who are you with? Are these people that are pulling you up or pushing you down? People influence us. So if we don't want to be deceived, where are you getting your input? So the call, the application of this week's message is there's this, again, like feels like a bite. This scripture wakes us up. Am I habitually doing this? Okay. What do I do with that? How do I wrestle? How do, I don't want to be a, um, a defeated follower of Christ. I want to be a conqueror. And so that means doing life with God. I had a thought this week also that I thought I would share. The, uh, John the disciple, again, who, he's older when he wrote this, and, and uh, I just wonder, he spent a lot of time with Jesus, he had revelations that he wrote down. I wonder, because you know, this, this um, book right here is full of reminders, pretty basic gospel, I wonder if he ever forgot. I wonder if he ever lost the plot. And he had to remind himself, oh no, Jesus this is real. I was with him. He's called me to love. And, and certainly he, if he didn't, I bet you he did, but he's telling these churches these basic things because we forget. I know I forget the main point. God loves me. I don't have to earn it. God loves me. Um, I'm beloved. I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. I'm empowered by the Spirit. I forget those things. And I wonder if John wrote that to just remind us because Maybe he forgot sometimes. And how embarrassing would it be to be the Apostle John and mess up? You've been with Jesus. You know the truth. You of all people. You know, he probably had some of those thoughts when he messed up. How could I sin? But if he remembered who God is and who Jesus is, that's how you get right back on track. 
I found from one of my professors in seminary a list that's on the back of this green sheet, and Dave graciously, I know it's micro font, so get out your microscopes, but um, my professor had these things, and it was called 20 Cans of Success, 20 Cans of Success, and I'm going to read these over us, and it actually will launch us into communion, and I know I just read these things, and it's almost like a like when you put water on a flower or a plant that's just really dehydrated and droopy, you read these scriptures, and I'm literally in my office this week, I've read them a bunch of times, and I'm like this when I'm reading them, and then I'm like this, come on, let's bring it. I'm going to take the world on. Listen to these. You can read along, or you can just let them just pour over the top of you as I read them. Why should I say I can't when the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? Why should I worry about my needs when I know that God will take care of all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus? Why should I fear when the Bible says God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind? Why should I lack faith to live for Christ when God has given me a measure of faith? Why should I be weak when the Bible says that the Lord is the strength of my life and that I'll display strength and take action because I know God? Why should I allow Satan to control my life when he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world? Why should I accept defeat when the Bible says that God always leads me in victory? Why should I lack wisdom when I know that Christ became wisdom to me from God and gives wisdom to me generously when I ask him for it? Why should I be depressed when I can recall to mind God's loving kindness, his compassion and faithfulness and have hope? Why should I worry and be upset when I can cast all my anxieties on Christ who cares for me? Why should I ever be in bondage knowing that Christ has set me free and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom? Why should I feel condemned when the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Why should I feel alone when Jesus said that he's with me always and he will never leave me nor forsake me? Why should I feel like I'm cursed? When the Bible says that Christ rescued me from the curse of the law, that I might receive his spirit by faith. Why should I be discontented when I, like Paul, can learn to be content in whatever circumstances? Why should I feel worthless when Christ became sin for me so that I might become the righteousness of God? Why should I feel helpless in the presence of others when I know that if God is for me, nobody or nothing greater can be against me? Why should I feel confused when God is the author of peace and he gives me knowledge through his spirit who leads me, who lives in me? Why should I feel like a failure when I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loved me? Why should I let the pressures of life bother me when I can take courage knowing that Jesus has overcome the world and its problems? Let's pray. Oh God, it's good to come to church to worship, to hear your word taught, to hear so many scriptures that are gifts to us from you. We feel strong, not strong in our own strength, but strong in your strength. That's what we're feeling right now as we read all these scriptures. Thank you for your word, for this good input. I pray now for each person in here as they've written a list of things that are perhaps dark in their lives, are there scary dreams, challenges that you call us to walk into? 
we put those at your feet. And we admit, we confess that apart from you, we can do nothing. But you love us so much, you're calling us to do something with you. That's exciting. And it's scary. Be with us now as we pause in communion to remember you, to look to you, and to look forward to you. Would you take these things, not only forgive us, but empower us to go forward as a church, as followers of you, go forward in love. Thank you. Amen. So if our servers would come forward, um, we're going to have communion available for us. And um, I wanted to say this about communion with regards to this morning. You did some work on this paper, and there's things that you need to confess. Part of communion and getting ready for communion is just to confess and say, God, I agree with you. I have missed this. I chose this instead of choosing you. Agree with God before you take communion. It's also a time to say, in communion, to say, God, I need you today to be with me in my present. That's what communion does, is it it alerts us to the need for him today. And then communion is a looking forward to a celebration. This is a micro feast of the major feast that we're going to experience with him in heaven. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Pray with me. Oh, Father, we've heard a lot this morning. I pray your spirit would bring clarity to all of our hearts and our minds and our will. That we would understand simply you just love us so much that you're willing to send your son to be one of us, to take our place, to make the way back to you. We don't deserve this, but we sure do appreciate you and love you and receive you. Comfort each heart here. Give us the confidence of knowing that we are forgiven as we confess and empower us to walk in your ways. Amen. Thank you for listening to the High Street Community Church weekly message. We hope you were encouraged to follow Jesus. For more, please subscribe to our podcast or visit us online at hscchurch.org.